Well, good morning again. Good to see everybody. Grab a seat. Um, thanks to our uh, our worship leaders today for the subtle hints of all caps. You know, wouldn't it be tricky, by the way, if like if we were all Dolphins fans? You know, like what are you gonna? You'd have a like a really difficult time finding worship songs that, that fit with that. So uh, obviously we, we we picked a good team, but. Uh, no, I got a kick out of that. That was neat. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, it's good to see everybody this morning. Over the, the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Jeremiah, and today we're continuing our, our, our look at the book of Jeremiah. And we're looking at a portion today from this book that talks about something that we all wrestle with. And we all wrestle with this idea of hearing and listening. You know, actually hearing something and, and actually doing something with it or just having something kind of be spoken to us and not actually be absorbed or learned or practiced or whatever it may be. And in the portion of Scripture we're looking at today, we're going to see that this was a problem that the people of Judah were dealing with that Jeremiah was trying to address among them. And he would speak these words of instruction. He would speak these words of caution as the Lord inspired him to do so. And again, every time he would speak these things to the people, it seems like his words were falling on deaf ears. The people didn't want to hear. Now, I don't know if, um, if you ever have, you know, uh, like, like certain things that you don't like to hear when people say, I was going to share something I don't like to hear, but then I know you'll all do it to me if I, if I say it. I'll, well, I'll just throw out a couple, all right? And if you do this, it's on your own conscience. I don't like details of medical procedures, right? I don't like that. And there are certain people in my life that love to tell me those details. Don't want to know. I just want to know, how are you doing? You can answer, I'm either good or bad. I don't want to hear anything else. I may pass out in front of you. I could not be a doctor, all right? I don't want to hear any details. Um, and I'll share something in a moment, but I won't give you the details, all right, um, related uh, to that. But And also, here's another one. The, the sound of nails being filed. I can't take that. I cannot take it. It gives, like, it'll send, if you ever want to see my arms covered with goosebumps, just start filing away. File away, file away. And I'll, like, they'll just raise up. Uh, and, uh, I, I just, it's hard for me to listen to. And when you look at this portion of scripture, it, it tells us that effectively the people of Judah were being told the very message that they needed to hear and they were shut down to it. They didn't want to hear it. They were completely shut down to it. And as we look at it, I want us to look at it not just as a historical observation, but as a word of personal caution, because we're no different than they were. We wrestle with the same internal struggles that they wrestled with. So if you would, this morning, take your Bibles and open up to Jeremiah chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 8 as we talk about this idea of why is it so hard to listen to what I need to hear? Why is it so hard to listen to what I need to hear? Jeremiah chapter 11, starting with verse 1. And this is what we're told in this passage. It says this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the blessings that we receive as we sit down and just pause for a moment to start off our week worshiping you by singing and praying and studying your word together. And we pray, Lord, that you would just give us wisdom and insight into your calling on our lives as we look at a portion of Scripture like this. We're so grateful for it, Lord. We're grateful for the privilege to be able to know the content of your word, but even beyond that, Lord, we're also grateful for the privilege to be able to put it into practice as we trust in you through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts now. We pray that we would be open to the teaching of your word as we look at this passage together today. And we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A while back, I had a very strange experience, and I want you to put yourself in, in my shoes as I kind of paint a picture of what happened to me in this particular moment, but this was about, oh, I would say this maybe about 17 or 18 years ago, and I was teaching an adult Sunday school class. So there were about 25 people, and uh, I was standing, they were sitting, and I was teaching this class, uh, about 25 people, and as I was speaking, I noticed that without warning, very abruptly, I lost hearing in my right ear. I couldn't hear anything. And I was like, that's strange. And it kind of took me off my guard because when you're, in, when you're in front of a group of people, like right now for me, you know, you tend to be a, like highly conscious of everything you're saying and everything you're doing, every movement you're making, anything like that. And little things sometimes can throw you off a little bit. And I thought, oh my goodness. And I guess that's not really a little thing, but I couldn't hear out of my right ear. And I remember I paused for a moment because it was such a strange uh, feeling. It was such a strange sensation. I remember I was, I kept wiggling my ear to see like, can I make it work again? Does this have like an on off button somewhere in here? How, how do I make this thing work again? And, uh, when it didn't correct itself, when I wasn't able to make the, the deafness go away, I thought, well, I'll just continue. And I just continued teaching the Sunday school class, but I couldn't make hearing come back in my ear. Now, that being a Sunday, my, my, uh, doctor's office wasn't open that day, so I visited my doctor. The next day, I still couldn't hear out of that ear, and he explained to me, after looking at the ear and, and doing some things that he needed to do, he explained to me the nature of the problem, and then he walked me through the process of correcting it. And the process took about a week. It took about a week. So for a week, I couldn't hear out of my right ear. And after one more visit to the doctor, my hearing was restored. I did the things that he had asked me to do, and my hearing came back. And I'll spare you the details of what was wrong, because I don't like hearing medical details, so I won't share my own medical details with you, but I have to tell you, I was quite pleased 
to have my hearing back. It was like, it was all new. I was amazed. Like, I, it was like I, I was hearing for the first time after going a week without being able to hear out of this ear. And ironically, sometimes when our hearing is in perfectly good order, we still struggle to listen to the things that we ought to be listening to. And that's what this kind of passage in Scripture is actually talking about. You know, the Lord's people, as they're described in this passage of Scripture, were struggling to listen to the instructions and the directions and the counsel that the Lord had been graciously offering them for generations and generations. And they were now paying a price for their willful ignorance. It was willful. They decided to be ignorant against the Lord. In our context, we might wrestle with the very same thing. And so the question we're asking today is, why is it so difficult to listen to what I I absolutely need to hear? Why is that a challenge for them? Why is that a challenge for us? Why do we wrestle with that? And this scripture helps us to understand why. And there's a few things that this portion of scripture point out to us that I think are helpful from an introspective kind of perspective to analyze why it's so difficult to actually listen to the things that we ought to hear. And that's this. First off, It shows us that ignorance is something that can persist for generations. That it doesn't always start just with you. That it could actually be a pattern that exists for multiple generations. Look at what it says in verse 1 and and several of the verses following. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So this is referencing hundreds of years earlier, saying that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. Let's pause there for just a second. Let me give you a little historical background on what was taking place when these words were being delivered here. At the time that this portion of Scripture was being written, the nation of Judah was about to be invaded by the nation of Babylon. Babylon was led by Nebuchadnezzar, and they were about to invade Judah. The the northern kingdom of Israel, so the ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom of Israel, had already experienced invasion by the Assyrians. The Assyrians had already taken over that area, but the power of Assyria was starting to wane. They were starting to lose their power. They were becoming less of a dominant force than they had been. And now Babylon was on the rise, and they were becoming the, the, um, the nation to contend with. They were becoming the superpower. So Assyria's power was diminishing, Babylon's power was starting to rise, and that caught the eye of Egypt. Egypt sees Babylon on the rise, and so the pharaoh of Egypt decides we need to do something to try and stop them before they become too dominant, before their power becomes too great. And so that's what they had purposed in their mind they were going to do. Egypt was going to stop Babylon from ascending in power more and more. Now at the time, Josiah was king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel made up of two tribes. Josiah was their king, and he had been told by the Lord not to intervene in this conflict that was brewing between Babylon and and Egypt. So don't intervene. Don't get involved in it. And basically what was going to happen is Egypt was going to march soldiers right through Judah. They were going to march them right through Josiah's territory, which would be a pretty 
difficult situation to find yourselves in if you have a foreign nation marching their troops through your territory. But again, the Lord told Josiah, don't prevent it. Don't stop it. Don't try and get involved. But instead of listening to the Lord's direction, Josiah decided to do his own thing. And he attempted to fight against Egypt when they were doing this, and he ended up losing his life in the battle. And even though when you look at Josiah, and I have, I have uh, multiple friends that have named their children Josiah, and when you look at Josiah in, uh, in Scripture, he's a godly man. Josiah was a godly leader. Josiah was the kind of leader that, that any nation would be privileged to have. But in this particular context, even though Josiah was a godly man, he serves as a great example of how even a godly person at times can stop listening to the Lord's voice and start going their own way and then experience the consequences of it. The Lord told him, don't intervene. And Josiah decides to intervene and he ends up losing his life. And he was a young man when it happened. Younger than me. Ignoring the, the Lord's voice was not... Uh, like a recent issue for the people of Judah. This wasn't something that just cropped up. This wasn't something that was just new to this particular generation. It was actually a problem that had been persisting for generations. The Lord had made a covenant with them. And He told them that He would bless them with the privilege to live in the promised land as they willingly obeyed the law that He had given them. The land that the Lord had given them was a beautiful place to live. It was it was described in Scripture multiple times as a land flowing with milk and honey. So the idea is that it would be the kind of place you would be grateful to live in, the kind of place that could sustain life, the kind of place that would have just the, the beauty of God's creation on display and the kind of things that you would need to live and the kind of things that you would need to be able to provide a living for your family. It was a pleasant and bountiful land given to them as a gift from the Lord. But instead of keeping the covenant that the Lord had made with them, the people broke it repeatedly. It wasn't just like a one-time uh, momentary lapse of judgment. They made a pattern of repeatedly disobeying this covenant. They broke it in every way. Every single direction that the Lord had given them, they ignored it or they trampled on it. So as a result, you have the northern kingdom of Israel taken into captivity by Assyria. And now as we look at this portion of Scripture, we have the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, that's about to be taken into captivity by Babylon. Ignorance toward the law, the, uh, the law of God, it was a problem that was persistent for generations among the people of Judah and among the people of Israel. They disregarded his covenant, they disregarded his word, and they ended up teaching that disregard to their children. I, I always find it fascinating. I know that when my wife and I started to have children, one of the things that we had in our minds was, all right, we need to be intentional about teaching these children directly. We want to teach them the scriptures. We want to teach them all sorts of details about day-to-day -day life. We want to teach them how to navigate life in, in a way that honors Christ. There are all sorts of direct things that we pictured ourselves sitting down and verbally teaching them. And I, I'll tell you this, one of the best teaching times that you will ever have with your children is when you carve out time to take a long drive somewhere and you make sure nobody has headphones in. Right? If headphones are in, you lose the opportunity. But if everyone has their headphones out and you have the opportunity to have conversation, that becomes one of the best teaching moments. And I've, I've noticed this over the years. I, I, I think some of the most meaningful conversations we've had as a family, some of the most meaningful conversations I've had as a dad with my children has, have been while we're driving together. 
And so I picture those moments, and I, I value those moments, but there's another aspect of teaching things to your children that we shouldn't forget. Sometimes it's not just what you directly teach them, although that's important. It's, it's extremely important. But backing that up is everything that they observe you doing. Everything they watch you do that you don't know that they're watching you. And sometimes they give you hints that they're observant. But other times you don't even think anything of it. And then you find out about it a long time afterward. One of my kids recently pointed out something to me that uh, I got a big kick out of that reminded me of the fact that, that children are observing the generation above them. They're observing their parents in ways that you don't even realize. I love music. I love listening to all kinds of music. I would get, I would be probably embarrassed if you rode in a car with me because I try and sing as many words as I can unashamedly loud in front of my family, and sometimes that slips out when I have guests in my car and I forget who's in the vehicle. Um, and my kids know that I know a lot of the words to a lot of the songs, and they stick in my mind, and I like singing them, and when we're going on drives, I'm the dad that's ch whose children tell him to turn the music down. I flipped the script generationally, and uh, it was different when I was growing up. It was the other way around. And... Um, and recently, we were in the car, and a Tom Petty song came on. And I like Tom Petty. I don't know if you like Tom Petty or not, but I was feeling sentimental because Tom Petty recently passed away. And the song came on, and I was singing it, and I was like, oh, I love Tom Petty. I always listen to Tom Petty. And, uh, and as we were listening to it, there was one line in the song that I didn't agree with, and so I just, I just didn't sing it. And then after that line was, was done, then I continued singing the song. And it was subtle, and it was one of those things that most people would be like, that's not even like a bad line. Why is that like, why would you not sing it? But I had an issue with that line, so I just didn't sing it. And uh, one of my kids said to me afterward, they're like, Dad, why don't you sing that line in that Tom Petty song? I was like, you noticed that I didn't sing that line? We had a conversation, but it reminded me, you're being observed. You're being observed. You're directly teaching on purpose, but you're also being observed. You're teaching in how you carry yourself and how you model your life and how you show that your faith in Jesus Christ is genuine. It's being seen and observed in moments when you don't realize it, moments that you would say are small, but those small moments actually validate the things that you directly taught. And here, when you look at the people of Judah, for generations, what are they seeing modeled by the generation that came before them? disobedience to the covenant of God, trampling on the teaching of the Word of God, ignorance to the things that the Lord has, has encouraged them to observe, and prioritization of all sorts of other things, and generationally, person to person, family to family, that continued for a very long time. That's what these people were observing. That's what they were learning. And you have generation after generation of this group of people ignoring the Lord's Word, and we experience that struggle as well. We instinctively rebel against God in our words, in our actions, and when we're rebelling against Him, we're also setting the pattern for those who observe us. It's interesting, when you look at the book of James, maybe you're familiar with this scripture from James. It's from chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this related to the law of God. It says, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. 
I think that's a fascinating portion of Scripture. I think it's very instructive. Because what do we typically do when it comes to our disobedience to the Lord? We minimize it, right? We'll be like, all right, yeah, okay, so that's not my strong point. But I'm, I'm fine over here. We're mostly fine. Sometimes fine. Occasionally fine over here. But that's my weak spot over here. And then you look at the book of James and it's like, um, if you've broken any of God's law, you're as guilty as if you have broken all of God's law. And I like that portion of Scripture because it kind of forces us to make a decision. And the decision it forces us to make is, how am I seen from the Lord's perspective? Not just my perspective, but how am I seen from the Lord's perspective? Well, naturally speaking, from the Lord's perspective, I'm a lawbreaker. If nothing changes, if everything stays as is, I am a lawbreaker. I break the Lord's law. If I've broken any part of it, I've broken the whole thing, just like the people of Judah did. But it's interesting because, as you know, I'm, I'm a lawbreaker, right? I'm one who's broken the law of God, just like the people of Judah. And what do we do? As lawbreakers, we still find a way to complain against the Lord when we don't feel like He's blessed us enough, or we complain to Him when we feel like we're not experiencing the level of peace that we would desire. And yet you look back at the source of what's going on and we recognize we've taken what the Lord has communicated and we've gone our own way regardless. So if we, so if I, like the people of Judah, have been guilty for generations of breaking the law of God, what hope is there for us? Do we not also deserve the same kind of discipline that the people of Judah also received? Isn't that what, if, if, it, if that's why they received discipline from the Lord, don't we also deserve that same kind of discipline? What hope is there for the person or for the family who has lived in, gener, in, in rebellion against God for generations? What hope is there for us if that's the way we've conducted ourselves and our lives? The truth is there is hope. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ. Look at what it tells us in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming, excuse me, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Isn't that a fascinating portion of scripture in light of what's taking place here in Jeremiah 11? Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth and He perfectly kept the law for us because we couldn't do it. Could you do it? I can't do it. None of us could do it. So Jesus came to this earth and He kept the law for us. And now as we listen to His voice calling out to us, as we trust in Him by faith, as this portion of Scripture reminds us, as we trust in Jesus Christ by faith, the Scripture tells us we are then declared righteous. Or as it's phrased here, we're justified. That's what that means, to be declared righteous. So we, who by nature are lawbreakers, who are guilty of breaking every law that God has ever given, can look to Jesus Christ and be justified, declared righteous as we trust in Him, because He kept the law for us. He came to this earth after it was well established that we don't have the capacity to keep the law of God. So Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, God in the flesh, came to this earth, kept the law for us, and now He says, if you trust 
in me. My righteousness will cover you, and it will be as if you have also kept the law, which naturally speaking, you are not capable of doing. But he says, I kept it for you, and now you're covered with my righteousness if you trust in me. We're declared righteous. We're justified by faith as we trust in Jesus Christ. Ignorance can persist for generations, but that that cycle can be broken as we trust in Jesus Christ. This portion of Scripture illustrates that that's one of the things that makes it very difficult, though, for us to be able to hear what the Lord wants us to hear, the fact that there's a generational pattern of rebellion against the Lord that we kind of wrestle with. There's something else in Jeremiah 11 that that it brings up that I want to point out, and that's this. Another reason why it's difficult to hear what we need to be hearing is that we've settled for lesser things and lost sight of what's best. Look at the second part of verse 4, and we'll, and we'll read down to verse 5. It says, saying, listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, so be it, Lord. Let's pause there for a second. We're about to enjoy lunch together in just a little bit. Hope everybody's looking forward to that because I definitely am. I didn't even see what you brought. I saw some of what you brought because I saw you carrying it in. But a lot of mystery crock pots came through that door and I want to eat it all. And um, I have no shame in admitting that. I want to eat it all. Have you ever noticed though that your taste buds change over the course of your life? That the things that you liked when you were younger aren't things that you still like now? I know, I can, I'll tell you, this is, uh, I give you way too much information to make fun of me for, but you're welcome to use this if I ever say something uh, that deserves to be made fun of, which is often. Um, but I remember, in particular, when I was like 12 and 13, in that particular season of life, when you're going through all these growth spurts and everything else, you're hungry all the time. You remember that season of life, how you're just hungry all the time? You never stop feeling hungry. And I have a distinct memory of when I was in algebra class, and I can still picture where I was, sitting in the room, and uh, as algebra is being taught, and I'm starting to fade off mentally, and I'm starving, I remember all of a sudden having this mental image of an unlimited supply of Big Macs being brought right to me. And I promise you I'm not making this up. It's one of my favorite memories from seventh grade. But I just remember, I remember sitting there and I was like, oh, that'd be so good right now. And I just pictured Big Mac after Big Mac just coming my direction. And, I was, and it made me so happy just thinking about it. And, uh, and I, thought, I thought, oh man, I just got to get one of those. I just need a Big Mac. I need a Big Mac. Well, not too long ago, I treated myself to a Big Mac. And for about half a second, it tasted delicious. Maybe a quarter of a second. And as I'm eating it, I was filled with instant regret. I, I, I was, I'm eating, I'm like, this is not as good as I remember it being. And I'm eating it, and I, I started to not feel so good. And I was like, it just feels heavy. And like, your face feels greasy. And like, I, I was like, why, what, like, how can my body be instantly changing as I'm eating this Big Mac? I know it's not good for me, but I thought that it would take a little while before I'd start to notice the effects of this thing entering into my system. And I'm like, all right, mental note, wait another 10 years before eating these things. But it's interesting because 
when you eat, you know, yesterday my wife made me a delicious salad with grilled chicken on it. And it was so good. And I loved it. And you know how I felt afterward? Filled and healthy and fine. And I went about my day and it felt good and everything was great. But isn't it interesting how sometimes, even though we know that there's good stuff out there, we'll settle for something that really isn't all that good. We know that something good is out there. You know, we know that that grilled chicken salad is out there. We're like, yeah, but today's a Big Mac day. And you have a quarter second of delight and many hours of regret. (laughs) That's a genuine issue for us, right? That's something that gets into our human nature. That's kind of how we tick. It shows up in more than one area. It's not just a food thing. It shows up in all sorts of areas. And you can see it illustrated. I know that Big Macs were not in Jeremiah's mind when he was writing these things down. But the people of Judah were wrestling with this sort of dilemma on a very deep, very real level. In their context, you have the Lord imploring them to finally and joyfully listen to His voice above any other voice. And His calling on their lives was that they would trust Him enough to do what He had called them to do. Saying, trust me, trust me, trust me enough to do what I've called you to do. And He assured them that what would happen as they obeyed Him by faith, as they lived out their faith in Him, He assured them that they would enjoy and they would experience the blessings that came along with obedience, that they would experience the better things. But instead, they settled for the lesser things. And it remained a struggle right up to this point here as Jeremiah is writing these things down. And it's no different for us. We struggle with the same sort of thing. This back and forth issue of of trust and obedience, it reminds me of a story that I heard from two different sources not that long ago. I actually read it in two different contexts on the same day. And I thought it was interesting to listen to two different perspectives. But apparently in a home, that had a family, they had a house fire. And in the midst of the house fire, the fire spread rather quickly. Most of the family, I guess, was on the main level. They had one of their children that was on an upper level. Everybody got out except one young son who was in in an upper bedroom. And the father went around to the side of the house and he called up to the son. And I guess the son was able to get out the window and it seemed like from the story that he was able to get a little bit out onto maybe some sort of a roof or some sort of like porch covering or something like that. But the smoke starts coming out behind him. There's smoke everywhere. And the dad calls up to him and he says, jump, I'm right here, jump. And the son protests for a second. So all the smoke swirling around him. And he said, dad, I can hear your voice, but I can't see you. I can hear your voice, but I can't see you. And the dad said, trust me, I can see you. Jump. And the kid jumped. And the dad caught him. And he was rescued. And he was fine. And that story stuck in my mind, not just because I read it from two different places on the same day, but because when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, I feel like that's exactly what this portion of Scripture is trying to get across to us. I feel like that's what the Lord's trying to communicate through the example of the people of Judah. Isn't he essentially saying the same exact thing? We all get caught up in what we can see. Right? We all get caught up in what's already familiar to us. And yet he looks at us and he says, trust me. And he invites us to obey him as an expression of that genuine faith. To stop running from his voice because we're, we're struggling to see the things that he wants us to see. 
He wants to show us those things. But in the meantime, he invites us to listen to his voice, resting in the fact that he can see them before we do. God's love and God's concern for his children is something that is genuine and true. And his word tells us things like love our neighbor and forgive as we've been forgiven and remain faithful to our spouse and speak with honest lips and to train our children to do the same. When the Lord tells us those things, he's not trying to burden us with that information. Rather, he's offering us the privilege to begin seeing things the way that he sees, sees things. He's giving us a glimpse of everything that, that ultimately is beyond the smoke that clouds our natural vision. He invites us through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to live as his people, content to trust the protective presence of our generous and caring God. He doesn't want us to settle for anything less than Him because nothing can satisfy our hearts like He alone has the power to do. Only He can satisfy your heart and my heart in the way that they ultimately need to be satisfied. We settle sometimes for lesser things and lose sight of what's best when we get all caught up in the things of this world. But the Lord encourages us to trust in Him even for the things that we can't yet see. As we trust in Him, in the midst of those contexts, He invites us to be people who become adept at listening to His voice. This is something the people of Judah obviously wrestled with. We obviously wrestle with it as well. But the Lord invites us to be people who become adept at listening to Him. And one other thing that this portion of Scripture brings out to us that I want to point out, and that's this. When it comes to accepting counsel, it takes humility to be able to will, to be willing to listen. It takes humility to be willing to accept counsel. Look at what it says in verse 6 down to verse 8. It says, And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Isn't it fascinating how, how, how the folks are described here? It says everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. You see pride, we see arrogance there. And it says, therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Isn't it tragic when you look at this portion of Scripture and you see the way that the Lord describes the people of Judah? It's tragic when you consider all the ways that the Lord blessed them. But we're told here that even after experiencing all the blessings that the Lord had, had, had just placed upon them, and even after experiencing generationally before uh, the, the, uh, just the snatching them out of captivity in Egypt and leading them to the promised land, that they still refused to listen to the voice of their Redeemer. They didn't obey, the Scripture says. They didn't incline their ear, right? They continue, it tells us here, to walk in the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. And they did this time and time again, generation after generation. Why is that so often the case? Well, the reason is it takes humility to accept counsel. I had a funny experience just the other day that reminded me of this. Uh, everybody wave to Matt Thomas in the back, in the sound booth over there. Hi, Matt. Uh, do you ever notice that just as we're all turning our heads and looking toward Matt, 
and making him feel awkward right now, that whenever there's a glitch with the slides, that we do that to him. Do you ever notice that? He notices, right? There's a glitch up there, and sometimes we've had the computer freeze during a worship service, and he's back there frantically trying to fix it, and you can see people, particularly if we don't know the words. By the way, the words today were just eagles, right? Okay? But that's not like that every Sunday. Some days we don't know all the words, and you have people trying to be subtle, or like, just making sure Matt notices. Okay, Matt noticed. You know, we look back at the sound guy. And my joke with him is that whatever's going wrong, it's always the sound guy's fault, right? He's our, the technology director here at our church. Whatever's going wrong, it's his fault, right? It's the technology director's fault. Well, this past week, the email for the church wasn't working. One of our missionaries sent an email to our missions director, and it got bounced back, and he said, hey, John, can you give me an alternate email for your missions director? I, I can't get through to him. It keeps getting bounced back. Now, we just made big changes to our church website, and I, it, that didn't dawn on me that it might mess up our email settings when we did that. And this was the first time someone had said anything to us. And so messages were getting bounced back, and they weren't coming through. And I was like, oh, no. And I wasn't sure what to do. And I messaged it to Matt, and I said, Matt, any idea what the problem might be? And he said, did you change any settings? when you uh, updated to the new website? And I said, no. And then I, I thought about it. I was like, well, you know what, though? When you do, when you update that website, it did, I think it deleted all the old records and put new ones in. I was like, maybe that's it. And he's like, yeah, of course that's it. And, um, and so I was like, okay. And so we tried for a little bit to figure out what was going on. And he sent me a screenshot of all the steps I needed to do to be able to fix it. And the whole time I'm joking with him, even though he had nothing to do with this, so he knew I was joking with him. But I said, you realize, Matt, that this is your fault? And he's like, really now, is it? And I was like, yeah, of course it's your fault. It's always the technology director's fault. Even if you had nothing to do, don't you understand? That's the rule. It's always your fault. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, let me remind you, you wouldn't have been able to fix it without my help. And, um, and as a joke... Um, I was working on my sermon that day as this happened, and so I, I, I shot him a picture of this point from my outline. I was like, oh, by the way, um, can I just show you what I'm speaking on this Sunday? And thanks for providing a great illustration of the point. But the, the, the idea is it takes humility to accept counsel, right? It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be little things, too. Anytime someone offers you advice, you, it runs through a filter. Do I listen to this advice? Do I reject this advice? And if I listen to this advice, do I try and pretend like I'm the one that thought of it? Or do I give credit to the person who actually told me what I needed to do? It takes humility to accept counsel. And when you look at the hearts of the people of Judah, they're no different than where our hearts can go from time to time. We can be stubborn. We can be obstinate. We can go in our own direction. And that's not the Lord's will for us. He wants us, with humility, to listen to the counsel that he provides. So let me ask this in a personal way, and I want you to be introspective when, when I say this. I want you to be thinking about yourself. I want you to be thinking about your life and where you're at right now. And my question is this. Is there an area of your life right now where the Lord's been trying to get your attention? Is there an area of your life right now the Lord's been trying to get your attention, but you're still blocking your ears to his voice. You know, is there a way that he's been trying to speak to your conscience that maybe you're even starting to grow, uh, starting to grow weary with ignoring, right? You could sense that the Lord's been telling you something and you're maybe even getting a little tired because you've been trying to push him away and push him away and ignore his voice and block your ears. 
Is there something he's been trying to tell you that you need to hear but haven't wanted to hear? For example, is he calling you to receive the gift of salvation through faith in his son, Jesus Christ? Is he calling you to receive that gift, but yet you've been resistant to trusting in Jesus? Or how about this? Is he calling you to repent of some area of sin that you've invited into your life that you know is there, but you hide it from everybody, and you don't talk about it with him even, but it's there, but you're struggling to repent of it because you like it too much? Or how about this? Is he calling you to forgive and reconcile with someone that you might be at odds with? You recognize that when that stuff lingers for a long time, it turns into bitterness and hatred. Scripture describes it as the seed of murder in our hearts. Is there someone that the Lord wants you to forgive and reconcile with that you've been holding that, just that, that hardness of heart against for a long period of time that the Lord says, as I forgave you, forgive them? Or can you sense the Lord calling you to become more and more acquainted with the teaching of His Word so that your mind and your heart will be thinking on the things of, of the Lord, the things above? I think these are areas that the Lord tries to get our attention. I think they're some of the biggest areas. He, he points at those areas and He nudges us in those areas. But it takes humility to listen. It's hard to listen. It's hard for me to listen. It's hard for you to listen. We're human beings. We wrestle with this. We can be proud people. It takes humility to be able to be willing to accept counsel of any kind. This is true in all areas of life, but it's particularly true in regard to our walk with the Lord. Remember the book of 1 Samuel? Some of the things it tells us about Samuel early in his life? I want to finish up with this this morning tells us there, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So Samuel's just a young man at the time this is taking place. The Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Isn't that a beautiful portion of Scripture? Speak, for your servant hears. When we look at Jeremiah chapter 11, this portion of Scripture illustrates for us that ignorance is something, it can persist for generations. It can even impact people who are generally faithful to the Lord, like we saw that it did to, to Josiah. We see in this portion of Scripture it can be very easy for us to settle for lesser things instead of the things of the Lord. We can see that it's very easy for us and very common for us to react to the Lord's voice with an attitude of pride, and it's less common to respond with an attitude of humility. But we need to hear what the Lord has to say. It is a privilege to hear His voice. It's a gift to be the recipients of His teaching. Throughout the course of our lives, He has called us to be men and women who submit our hearts over to Him and who joyfully listen to what we need to hear from Him. 
would we too become the kind of people who would say, like Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, for your servant hears. And if the Lord says something to us, are we willing to listen? Or do we harden our hearts against Him? In just a moment, we're about to partake of communion. And when we partake of communion, there's something that our Lord wants us to hear in those moments. He wants us to hear and understand the message of the Gospel and to hear it fresh all over again. He wants us to be reminded of what we're actually celebrating, the fact that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ were given to atone for our sin because we were lawbreakers. Jesus, when He gave this pattern, when He gave this practice to His disciples, He invited them to do this as a way of remembering who He is and what He has done on our behalf. And here we are, centuries later, doing the very same thing. We're participating in this remembrance so that we never forget what it took for Jesus to pay for our sin, the sin we committed when we broke the law of God. He kept the law of God for us. And now through faith in Him, He declares us righteous as if we actually kept it. But He's the one that kept it. And we are the ones that experience the benefits of what He did. So in just a moment, we're going to partake of communion and be reminded of His body and His blood, which were given on our behalf. But it's our custom, if you're new with us, before we partake of communion, what we like to do is we just pause for a moment of silent prayer, a moment of silent reflection, where we just take a moment and we confess to the Lord whatever is on our mind, whatever is on our heart. If there's anything there that we've been wrestling with that we just need to be honest with Him about and ask for His cleansing, seek His forgiveness related to, we bring that before Him now. So let's pause for a moment of silent prayer and confession before the Lord as we prepare our hearts to partake of communion together. Let's pray silently. Lord, we recognize that it is much easier for us to be people who ignore Your voice and listen to our own. Lord, we recognize it's much easier for us to go our own way and pretend as if the way that we're going about life has no real consequence or no significant eternal value. And yet, Lord, when we look at Your Word, You tell us differently. You remind us that we are new creations through faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ. You have graciously justified us through faith in Him. You've cleansed us of our sin. You've made us a new creation, and You invite us to walk with You. And this was all accomplished through Your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and kept the law that we kept breaking. He came to this earth and died on the cross to pay for the sin we committed. Who came to this earth, lived and died, and rose from the grave to defeat the power of sin, Satan, and death. And your word reminds us over and over again that through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we experience victory over sin, Satan, and death in our lives. 
Thank you, Lord, for that victory that was secured by your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we partake of the bread and as we partake of the juice, we do so as men and women who are mindful of the great cost that was paid for us to be able to come before your throne. Lord, we recognize that we can only come before you with confident access like this because we've been covered with the righteousness of Christ. His blood covers us. His righteousness has been added to our account. And now we can come before your throne as men and women who have been justified, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, not because we did a few nice things here or there, but because Jesus kept the law for us and atoned for our sin. So we're grateful, Lord, for these reminders. Reminders, And as we partake of communion together, Lord, we pray that we would be mindful of the great cost, the great price that was paid for us to be able to experience this kind of blessing. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.